Hey everybody, it's Adam Strong here, host of the Game Changers Experience, and I just want to share my gratitude and appreciation to each and every single one of you guys, because we have hit a huge milestone. Uh, this is episode 100. Yes, absolutely, episode 100, and I never dreamt or ever believed that we would ever hit 100 episodes. Um, it has been an amazing ride. Uh, we've had some amazing guests. I'm sure that you would agree with me. Uh, firstly, I want to share my uh, appreciation and gratitude to you, the listeners. We've had, we've got listeners and supporters from all over the world in 35 different countries around the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. We've had thousands upon thousands of downloads. Um, and I also want to share my gratitude and appreciation to our production team and marketing team uh, because they do an amazing job. And I'm sure you would agree with me as well. And they continue to strive. Um, so my only my big ask really from you guys is we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to take the podcast to the next level. I have a huge vision and I want you to be part of that journey. But we w also want to reach out to our, our clients and our listeners. And we'd love to get your support and feedback too. If there is a particular guest that you'd like to see on the show, if there is a, a maybe we, maybe you'd like to, maybe you've listened to other podcasts and you're a big fan of our one and you want to make a recommendation, then please reach out to our team, me and my team team and we'll see if we can take some action. Uh, we love listening and getting feedback. So listen, enough from me. Enjoy the 100th episode and we'll see you soon. Cheers. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hey guys, in this first clip is with my good buddy of mine, JP Davilliers. JP is a serial entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and also professional athlete. In this particular interview that we did, JP had just come back from healing from a serious injury. He was cycling from John O'Groats to Land's End in raising money for charity, and he got knocked off his bicycle, which then changed his life forever. We talk about the importance of success and self-mastery, and I hope that you enjoy this particular clip as much as I did the interview. So enjoy. You talked about living your best life, and, the, and I suppose some of the missing keys you've identified certain things in your life that you were that you were missing you, you're missing your passions and things like that what do you see if we take um, i suppose society in a way where you know you made the realization that you were on a path to destruction essentially because that's essentially what it was right absolutely and you could probably portray or foresee other people that are maybe going down the same route <laughs> What were the big uh, alarm bells for you? And if people also got some alarm bells, which they're like, Do you know what? This guy's making sense to me, man. Like, what is it that they need to, what's the first steps that they need to do to take action? Number one, you want to change your life. You've got to change your energy. And I can share with you many different tools in which you can do that. Everything in the world is energy and energy in the world is everything. It is existing everywhere and you are energy. So if you want to change the energy that you're living in, you have to change the energy that you're living in. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that you've got to do to do that is you've got to take responsibility for where you are. See, when I woke up, quote unquote, uh, in Riga, 
to the fact that I was heading in the wrong direction and being self-destructive. And really, I was on a path to death. At some point, I knew that. I knew that if I kept living that way, I was on a path to death, mm. and which is the ultimate suffering, obviously, not living anymore, in my opinion, anyway, because life is freaking amazing. And I'm sure you agree. And I had to realize, acknowledge, and take responsibility for the fact that no one put me on that plane to the UK. It was no one else's fault. Actually, strange coincidence, but right now, or today while we're doing this, my team have released a video on social media saying there's one radio station you should never, ever play, and that's Blame FM. The second you play this radio station or you tune into this radio station called Blame FM, that's the second that you give away your own power to change because it's his fault or their fault or the economy's fault or the government's fault it's no one else's fault but yours for where you are because you're not a tree you can move right so if you don't like where you are you got to move and that's the first thing i had to do i had to take responsibility for where i was for how i was feeling and for what was present and missing in my life that is the very first step in our second clip, I interview CEO of the WD40 company, Gary Ridge. Gary is Australian born and runs uh, the big company WD40, which is a multi-million dollar company based out of San Diego, California. We talk about leadership, we talk about values. He talks a lot about, you know, how do you build up a company from the ground upwards and also shares the self-sabotaging effects of leadership so listen i love this episode i think it's fantastic i think you're going to get a lot of value from it so hope you enjoy it cheers i see so many ceos whether it be or business owners whether they run a small company or they run a fortune 500 company right and I, what do you think is what do you think that ceos get it wrong you know because you have gone on a massive journey over the last sort of 40 odd years you know from opening a subsidiary in, in Australia to becoming one of the most well-respected leaders of, of all time. You know, where do you think some of the, when you have conversations with people on the golf course, for example, or when you sit in the round, on a round, round table with other CEOs of big companies, where do you think a lot of these CEOs go wrong? I think there's three, three areas, Adam. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one is, and it's, it's probably not their fault, but they play the finite game instead of the infinite game. In other words, the the pressure to deliver short-term results overwhelms the need to build an enduring company over time. And particularly if you're a public company, and particularly if you're a US public company, you know, it's, it's all about what did you do for me in the last 90 days? And that forces them to make finite decisions instead of infinite decisions. We're here to build an enduring company over time. So I think that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, which is their fault, is their ego eats their empathy instead of their empathy eating their ego. Mm-hmm. And they create what I call the soul-sucking CEO. And, um, you know, I have him here. I think I showed him to you before. Yeah, we did. What was this his name? Al. Al, Al, Al. Al, the soul-sucking CEO. <laughs> and, and Al has some really toxic behaviors. Number one is Al, Al really is corporate royalty. So he believes he's, he's fought his way to get there. He better have the best office in the building, a private parking spot. Those shall bow to, bow, bow to Al. Uh, Al never keeps his word. 
Um, and if something ever goes wrong, it's never Al's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Al never involves his people and he's always right. He ha- always has the answers. Uh, he doesn't bring people in. Al hates feedback. You know, he, he really doesn't need that. You know, he's, he's earned his spot here. And we know that, you know, it's the power of feedback and inclusion and, and all of that, that crisp and, and beautiful confrontation in a friendly way that you have. Al hates learning and he doesn't embrace what we call the learning moment. He leads by fear. Now, the learning moment to us is we, I have never made a mistake in my whole life, Adam. Can you believe that? No, definitely not. I could never believe that. (laughs) And you're right. But what I do, I don't call them mistakes. I call them learning moments. And I I have millions of learning moments. And the definition of a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So at WD-40, we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments and we encourage them. And we we praise and applaud people for positive ones and negative ones because we want them to feel safe in the circle of safety, sharing what's working and what's not working. And Al doesn't like that. It's it's, it's fear-based. So Al has these, these awful attributes. And I wrote an article. It's actually on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to read it, it's called, it's about the soul sucking CEO, um, (laughs) where I describe these behaviors. In my third clip, I interviewed Guinness World Record holder and ultra endurance athlete, Mark Beaumont. I particularly love this interview because we talk about so many different things from fear, how to manage fear, how to also manage risk but also the correlations between ultra high endurance and entrepreneurship and how that entwines into two. So listen, hope you enjoyed this particular highlight as much as I enjoyed doing the interview. Sometimes I see a lot of, I suppose, business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, they just grind. Do you know what I mean? They just grind and they just, but for you, you know, you've got the mixture of, okay, let's stay physically and mentally fit as well as run it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the difference. So I'm very lucky that I, I sort of, I always joke that I spend half my life in a suit and half my life in Lycra. Uh, and it's probably not that, but you know what I mean? So I've got, you know, I've got a finance career. I'm a partner in an early stage investment fund. You know, we back early stage science, engineering and technology businesses. We've got a portfolio of 12, soon to be 13 companies. We've invested, you know, and co-invested 25 million into these fantastic ideas typically coming out of Scottish universities. So, you know, my background's economics and I, people don't know that if they follow me on Instagram, they, they think I spend my life riding a bike. I, <laughs> I, I love riding my bike, but I spend my entire, whether you're talking about growing an early stage science company or pedaling around the world in 80 days, you're still about getting the right team around it, tightening timeframes, mm. building strategy, mm. you know, fundraising, all these key components. So you have remarkably similar conversations. And my skill set, you know, I always say I'm not the world's best bike rider. You know, I live in Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm not the best bike rider in Edinburgh. <laughs> and yeah, I've got all these world records because I've had the confidence to do stuff that other people haven't stepped out to try and you know I've backed myself I've built the team and I understand how to build these mega projects which is a completely different skill set than knowing your FTP and you know knowing how fast you can be on a bicycle I'm six foot three and 90 kilos I'm not the world's best bike rider and yet I've not just broken but I've obliterated these world records I've created these huge leaps in performance because because of planning because of team because of 
it's because of the strategies around it. And I failed. I failed a number of times, but you're never going to have an entrepreneurial career without, you know, some pretty significant knocks as well. So do I get balance? Yes, you're right. Because I can't, when you talk about the grind and that sort of battle of attrition that people feel, that sort of isolation and loneliness of work, um, for me, you need to have sort of the metaphoric sort of arrows coming in the way at times, getting quite obsessed about what you're doing. And at other times, you need to get the arrows pointing the other way, be that community, family. You know, what's your wider impact on the world outside of making money? And I think the entrepreneurial journey can just become about, you know, accumulating wealth. And if, if I was to break down you know, the scarcest commodity is not money, it's time. And if you, to break, if you break it down more clearly, you think, well, what, what do you want to be, you know, your legacy? It's not going to be about, you know, the size of your mortgage or, you know, your, your, your monthly outgoings. It's going to be about three things. It's going to be about family. It's going to be about community local, nationally, and globally. And it's going to be about your work, the things you're passionate about. So those three spheres need equal thought in terms of how you create positive impact and time. So I think the grind that you're talking about is if you get too blinkered, too lost in one of them, you know, you can get entirely lost in your family and work suffers. You, you know, how many people have prioritized work for decades and then suddenly realize they miss their kids growing up? Or how many people think, well, hey, I'll take third sector charitable roles and, you know, try and take on, you know, feel good positions once I've lived my career and taken care of family. And then, you know, you do these things in your 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that if you come to it late. But my point is, life is what you do now not what you plan to do in the future. And so you're never too young to start thinking about all of these things. And you can't kick the ball down the road with any of these important impacts in your life. So if you want to be connected to the world around you, there's a big bad problem out there right now. You've got to create time to address that. And I'm not doing saying this because you want to sort of be a goody two-shoes. I'm doing it because it's fundamentally good for your mental health. It's fundamentally good for your sense of purpose and well-being. Because if all you do is put your blinkers on and, you know, grind away at work to make money, guess what? You're going to be fundamentally unhappy because you're going to lack purpose and connections to wider, wider things. So, you know, it's been a horrible year for so many strands of my work, but luckily I don't do one thing. And I think for anyone who does one thing in their life, it becomes a chore. It becomes a real grind. You gotta, you gotta sort of think sort of broader to that than that. Like, how do I make sure for my own sense of purpose, let alone the, the impact I can have on the wider world, that I'm, I'm actually prioritizing other stuff than you know, work. And I think people that really struggle is just because they're, you know, their 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 chips are in on one thing. In my fourth clip, I interview world behavior specialist and global educator and also the author of over 40 different books dr john d martini john is one of the most knowledgeable people on this planet we talked about vision we talked a little bit about ego uh, we talked a little bit about how to become unstuck if you're if you're stuck in your business or in life we show you a way in which you can do that listen i i love this interview so much i hope that you enjoy it too you had your parents' blessing. Did you ever have any, I suppose, not regrets, but kind of when when they said to you, oh, you know, we, you have our blessing, did you kind of ever feel like you were feel abandoned by them at any point in time? No, okay. I, I, I look back at my, um, 
I don't have anything that I can say other than thank you to my parents. I had a notarized form. I had to go down to a notary with my mom mm. and they notarized a document that I could carry and fold it up in my, in my kind of wallet looking thing that they, they had. Right. My dad said, keep $13 in your pocket, never spend this $13. So they can't put you in, in a jail for vagrancy and, and make sure you have this document. And here's the contact details in case they ever, you ever get pulled over or, you know, people wonder why you're doing what you're doing. And um, they took me out to the freeway, uh, Interstate 10 in Houston, Texas, and said, go live your dream. Wow. At 13 years old. Well, I, would, I left home at 13, but I, I, every once in a while I would see my parents. And then at 14, I said, I'm going to California. And they said, well, let, let's, let's get this organized. And they made the arrangement. You know, my dad said that I've taught you everything you need to know. When I was nine, my dad made me pay $7.50 a week to stay at the house and pay for clothing, food, and rent and work in the neighborhoods to try to learn how to be, you know, street smart because he thought I'm never going to make it in school. So let's try to make him street smart. So at least he has, you know, skills mm. to go out and make a living. Wow. And so I was, I cleaned up when I was nine years old, I was making equivalent of about $45 a day, which would be around six, $700 a day today. That's, uh, when that's... I was nine mm. and I had uh, nine employees working for me at the time, working and doing all the arts. <laughs> So my dad was trying to get me to be an entrepreneur. He said, look, I taught you what you need to do to survive out there. Go, go live. You want to go make it? Because I really did have some sort of capacity to go surfing and thought maybe I could make it in the surfing world. Now today, there's lots of money in the surfing world. There wasn't a lot of money in the surfing world back then. But, but uh, So I went out and rode the North Shore. And on my 65th birthday last year, I went out to the North Shore and surfed Pipeline and, and Lani K. That's cool, man. So I, I love that. You know, it's interesting, you like seeing you and, and people that know you, you, you wouldn't see yourself as a surfer, right? I mean, I would never have seen you as a surfer, but hey, you know what? We've all got hidden talents, John, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I uh, believe it or not, I, I used to surf. I, I lived in Iakai Beach Park most of the time. And Laird Hamilton was dropped off there. I was sort of an abandoned child by his mom there. Right. And um, Bill Hamilton, who lived a couple doors down from Pipeline there, well, front of Pipeline, actually, uh, saw him in the on the beach in the sand. I was sleeping up at the park and down on the beach itself. This kid was sleeping and that was Laird Hamilton. He became one of the biggest wave riders in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I grew up and hung out with some of the you know, big wave riders and got in a, some movies. I got in three movies and some magazines and also in a book called High Surf, Giant Surf. I have to be uh, have a chapter in there. So nice. I, I was a, a surf rat <laughs> in, the, in the 60s and 70s. All good. So listen, guys, if you if you ever see, uh, if you're going to go and look at some new books, right, make sure that you go seek out John's uh, chapter in the surfing books. Yeah, but by the way, do you know the title of the book? High Surf. High Surf. Okay, guys, go seek it out. High right? Surf. High Surf by Tim Baker. There you go. High Surf by Tim Baker. Surfed, Make sure you go I see that out. <laughs> yeah, I, surfed with, I surfed with Tim Baker in Australia. We, we went surfing together. Fantastic. That, do you know what? I never knew that about you, by the way. I just wanted to point that out to you. That's so cool. So interestingly enough, because I know that there's a lot of, I suppose the world's upside down at the moment, but I wanted to kind of talk to you a little, about, little bit about forces. 
you know, there's a lot of internal forces, there's external forces, okay? And most of these can sometimes feel like we're not in control of our life, okay? How can we become more consciously aware about how to manage those forces and how can we fix them? Well, there's three things you have control over. Mm -hmm. Perceptions, decisions, and actions. That's it. Anything outside that is delusional. You have control of your perceptions, decisions, and actions. And no matter what happens out there, no matter what happens in the world, if you ask a simple question, how specifically is what's happening right now helping me fulfill my mission? How does it help me fulfill what I believe is most important, most fulfilling, most meaningful, most inspiring in my life? Mm -hmm. And don't say it's not. Don't say I don't know. Don't stop and say, well, I'm a victim of history. Ask yourself, how specifically is what's happening helping me fulfill my highest value? If I do that and I discover the answer to that, I will see it on the way, not in the way. And I will realize that whatever is happening is not what's in controlling me. It's my perception, decisions, and actions as a result of that. So you want to make sure that you ask yourself quality questions. How specifically is whatever is happening in my current reality helping me fulfill what's most important to me in my life right now? Fix them. Well, there's three things you have control over. Mm -hmm. Perceptions, decisions, and actions. That's it. Anything outside that is delusional. <laughs> you have control of your perceptions, decisions, and actions. And no matter what happens out there, no matter what happens in the world, if you ask a simple question, how specifically is what's happening right now helping me fulfill my mission? How does it help me fulfill what I believe is most important, most fulfilling, most meaningful, most inspiring in my life? Mm -hmm. And don't say it's not. Don't say I don't know. Don't stop and say, well, I'm a victim of history. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself how specifically is what's happening helping me fulfill my highest value? If I do that and I discover the answer to that, I will see it on the way, not in the way. And I will realize that whatever is happening is not what's in controlling me. It's my perception, decisions, and actions as a result of that. So you want to make sure that you ask yourself quality questions. How specifically is whatever is happening in my current reality helping me fulfill what's most important to me in my life right now? In my fifth interview, I interviewed Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, and he is the number one executive coach in the world. And he's also the only two-time thinkers, 50 in the world too, in terms of leadership. And Honestly, the interview was so fun. We talked about so many different things and he even did a coaching session with me. I hope that you're gonna have as much of a laugh and a, and a comedy as I did. It was such a great session, so enjoy. So you, let's imagine, a little practice with you. Mm. Let's say I interview everyone around you. Pick one thing you need to do better. Stop micromanaging. Very good. Too much micromanagement, perfect. I have that all the time. So, okay. Uh, then you would talk to everyone around you and say, you know, I got this feedback and I'm going to do a little, I'll do a little bit more detail because it's probably a pretty common problem with the, uh, the entrepreneurs. Absolutely. I got this feedback. And one of my issues is I'm seen as micromanaging. One thing I want to do is I want to be an effective delegator. And what I really want to work on is more effective delegation. In fact, I might not even say micromanagement. I'd say, I want to be, say it in a positive way. I, Adam, want to be a more effective delegator. Mm -hmm. Fine. So you have a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with everyone. 
you say, now we're going to look at this from three perspectives. First, I'm going to ask you, do I ever get more involved than I should? Do you ever feel that I'm micromanaging, getting more involved than I should? And I'm not saying I'm going to change everything. I'm just going to promise to listen and take notes and do what I can. And then, okay. And then give me ideas how I can do a good job of not doing that. Now, my second question, though, is do you ever need more help from me? Because, you see, I don't want to just let go to let go. So maybe in some areas you feel I'm more involved than I need to be. Some areas not involved enough. Because, you see, delegation in and of itself is not a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. You delegate to the wrong person, you don't help anybody. Sure. So the question is not I want to delegate more. I want to delegate more effectively. Mm-hmm. So are there areas where I need to get more involved than I am? And what the person might say is, you know, Adam over here, I think you get a little too involved. But over there, I really need more of your help. You see what I'm saying? You don't want to just delegate to delegate. Right. Then, then you also then you say question three, do you ever see me, Adam, doing things at my level that Adam doesn't need to be doing? And what would those be that maybe other people could do this instead of Adam? And then you take notes and listen. So you talk to everybody, then you write down notes, and then you talk to me. I say, who'd you talk to? What'd you learn? What are you going to do about it? And everything is feed forward for me now. All about the future, not about the past. Whatever sins you've been in the past, I'm not going to change anyway. We're moving on. I said, now I'm going to give you my ideas. Now I give you my ideas. Whatever I tell you, you say thank you. You don't judge, you don't critique, you don't argue, you say thank you. And if you talk back, I find you $20. <laughs> it's like a swear jar. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't prove I'm wrong. And it's a good discipline because you see the people I work with are always used to having to prove how smart they are and right there. Well, you don't do it with me. Mm-hmm. If I tell you something, now you have to do the basics. That's required. Right. No arguing. Do it or goodbye. Everything else is optional. Mm-hmm. You do it or not. You don't do it. It's okay. I'm, I don't care. I'll never know the difference. Do it if you think it works. That they never argue. If they argue, I charge them money. So you might say the people I coach are rich people. And the money, I'll, but this this is funny. I charge them money if they start sentence with no, but however, they argue, try to prove they're right. I charge them money, $20. Then you might say, well, these are rich people. They don't care about, lo-. and the money goes to a charity they pick too. Now you might say, well, they don't care about losing money. That is wrong. Look, yeah, old, old rich men don't care about losing money, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they, hate, they hate they hate losing any money so like one guy i'm going twenty dollars forty dollars sixty he goes this expensive i said you made 35 million dollars last year and this money is going to go to a little homeless child <laughs> he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> oh i'll pay the 60 bucks i'll pay the 100 bucks whatever right <laughs> now, my funniest story occurred in india mr jim Rao. mr jim Rao's a great guy so he owns a company called GMR. They built the airport there in Delhi, a beautiful airport. He's just a good human being. He donates 340 million. Bill Gates tries to talk rich people into giving money to the poor, Warren Buffett. So they go to India, and my friend, Mr. GMR, he gets all excited. He donates $340 million to poor people in India. He's very generous. Two days later, I'm coaching him. The money goes to the same charity, 20 bucks, 40 bucks. He goes, this, this is expensive. <laughs> No, excuse me, you donated $340 million to the same stupid charity two days ago, and now you're arguing (laughs) because it's expensive, 20 bucks. What is wrong with you? Then you know what he goes, he goes, oh, 
I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I love that. I forgot. Now, let me explain the difference. Mr. GM Rao in front of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett in every newspaper in India, writing a check for $340 million. You know what that's called? Winning. Winning. $20. Losing. In my sixth highlight today, I interviewed Ash Lawrence. Ash is a sports psychologist. He's a business owner, and he's been a good friend of mine for many, many, many years. Ash uh, teaches a lot of his clients from premiership footballers all the way through to entrepreneurs like you. And he teaches a lot about he teaches a lot about the subconscious mind and how to become more self-aware about your strengths and your weaknesses and also at the links between high-performance sport and also entrepreneurship. So listen, hope you enjoyed uh, this particular episode. You've been working in the field of sport, entrepreneurship, business. What links have you found between the two and what can we take from elite sport and bring it into more of how I want to be a successful businessman or I want to be a successful entrepreneur. What can we take in terms of that? What can we learn from elite sport? Okay. That's a, that's a great question. So I think uh, you're a sportsman. I'm a sportsman. You're a businessman. I'm a businessman. The, the common denominator for me in that is uh, the will to win. Okay. And, and not giving up, you know, for me as a sportsman, I, I want to win. Why, why am I now? I mean, it's, I'm down to playing golf now because I'm getting on a bit. But I, I want to win. Okay, when I stand on there and I'm standing on that tee, I want to win. Whoever I'm against, I want to win. If I'm against myself, I want to win. So I accept that I'm a winner. Mm. Business is the same. I want to be the best business that I can be for the goals that I've set myself. Right. So that winning element for me is, I believe, is crucial that you want to do what it takes to win. Now, I, I see lots of people, there's, there's a big difference between good and great in sport, you know, mm -hmm. and that is the mindset of that. But they, they're not prepared to do what it really takes to go to that next level. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of business people out there that have still got that employee mindset is, oh, it's my own business, so I'll, I'll go in a bit later today um, and I'll, I'll finish early today. Well, it's my business. I'm the boss. I'll do what I like. And the reality is it's not like that. You know, I've got a mentality. I, I, you know, I own my own business, four of them, and I only work half days. That's all. I alone work half day in my business. There's 24 hours in the day and I work 12 of them. And that, that to me, is what it's about because yeah. it's... The, I, I will not be beaten. And that is where sport and business comes together. I'm determined to do what it takes to, to achieve the goal that I want. Mm. Whatever that's, you know, financial, whatever. Do you know what? It's a really interesting thought process here because, you know, I agree with some with your point about the whole kind of, you know, creating that competitive edge, the fact that, you know, we all want to become winners. But then... Uh, interesting conversation with uh, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith from last week's podcast. And the fact that <clears throat> if you were a, it doesn't matter who you are, say you're a CEO of a, a million or a billion pound company or whatever it is. And the fact that a lot of people just don't like to lose. Right. But then, but then what is the up, the downfalls of, okay, well, hang on a second. We don't like to lose. And I, and I use the analogy and Marshall uh, was extremely good with this. 
And he was saying that he was working with a client. I think he was the CEO of, a, of World Bank, World Bank. And, uh, and he only coaches millionaires and billionaires. And he said, he said this particular client had made a donation to his charity the day before, $360 million. And then he, now with, if you want to work with Marshall, you have to obey by the rules, essentially, you know, he picks his clients, right. And he's, you know, yes. he's good at what he does. And so it's rightly so. And so one of the things that he gets his clients to do before they work with him is they get him and he got me to do it as well, to put their hand up and say, I promise, okay, that I, whatever I'm going to be taught, I'm going to say, thank you. Okay. So thank you. So no arguing, no questioning, uh, just thank you. So this particular CEO who he was coaching kept on arguing because it kept on arguing with him and saying, Hey, so this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, and then he was questioning him. And then for every time a client argues with Marshall, they find, he finds them $20. Okay. And now at the end of this, right at the end of this, this is an interesting concept. He got to about 300 bucks and the, and the chap turned around and then this guy's, this guy's really wealthy. He turns around and he said, wow, this is an expensive session. And he goes, what do you mean? You, this, this money that I've just find you is going to the charity that you donated $360 million you, to yesterday. How's that expensive? He said, the only di- what, what the big difference is, is you don't like to lose. That's the only difference. No one likes to lose. In my seventh episode today, I interviewed Adam Cox. I've known Adam for quite a number of years. He's one of the leading hypnotherapists in the UK. He's got a practice on Harley Street. He's been interviewed and on the media around the world. And he's worked with lots of different celebrities and even normal people like you and me on hypnosis. Now, we talk in this particular episode about self-sabotage and how to overcome self-sabotage and how to overcome it. So listen, I hope you enjoyed today's particular highlight. Talk about collaboration is that it's also a I suppose in a way people's uh, false sense of uh, insecurities as well, you know, because, you know, we all like to win, right? We're all trying to compete against each other, but actually in this day and age, best thing to do actually is to really collaborate, work together. Cause we're all kind of working towards the same goal and, you know, do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, the, the way I think about it is that there was a time when there was no businesses, there was no people. So the whole economy, the global economy, um, has come from nothing. You know, I'm a big fan of the metaphor of alchemy. And, and from my point of view, there is no shortage of opportunity. There's no shortage of wealth. There's no shortage of money. There's no shortage of business ideas. What there is a shortage of are people that have the courage of their own convictions to pursue things. And I think that's what we need more of. So actually, you know, I'm a big fan of collaborating with those people where the, the kind of the combined ingredients create something much more valuable than the sum of its parts. And you see that in lots of different situations. You know, joint ventures are are really positive. Creativity, I think, is so underrated. Just an idea, an idea linked to a resource can create a business, a whole, a whole revenue stream, a whole, a whole business model. And I think that's what there's a scarcity of. There's a scarcity of people taking opportunities and and good ideas. And, And that's that's why collaboration is is something that people shouldn't fear.
Love it. Very cool. So today we're talking about a really interesting subject, which is all around self-sabotage. And, you know, I think this is a really good topic to talk about, Adam, purely because, number one, I am a victim of that. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a victim of that. I'd probably say I'm a master of my own uh, doom, I suppose, in a way. But I think that a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate this subject around self-sabotage. But let's just talk a little bit about what self-sabotage really is, you know, from your perspective. Yeah. I think self-sabotage for me is when people either consciously or unconsciously do something that completely contradicts something that is really valuable and important to them. And, you know, it's not an uncommon thing. You know, we're, we're recording this beginning of February. A lot of people would have set news resolutions in January to lose weight, to, to get fitter, to, you know, all these kind of things. And a lot of people are probably nodding their head right now thinking, I set a resolution and I've done the exact opposite of what I intended to do. That's, a, that's one example of self-sabotage where people will do the very thing that interrupts and prevents a very valuable and meaningful goal. And, and my own experience of that, I mean, I've had many experiences of self-sabotage, but one of them was when I, in the early days of my PR company, I, I won a, a PR agency account. So as an agency, I was also supplying other PR agencies with broadcast. And I got in with a really big agency. And they invited me to speak to the whole agency. There was like 150 people there. That could have created so much business for me. And I overslept on the very morning that I was meant to do that. Now, I thought about that a lot. And it's kind of like, why would I... I never oversleep, but I overslept that morning for something so important. And at some level, there was something, perhaps an unconscious fear or something getting in the way that meant on that particular morning, I messed it up for myself. I couldn't point the finger to anyone else. It was me that did that. And it got in the way of something really potentially valuable and important. And yet I messed it up. And, and I think lots of people have got similar experiences where, and, and it might not be a business, it might not be something financial, it might be a friendship, it might be a relationship, it might be a weight loss goal, but most people have the experience of doing the very thing that completely messes up something really important to them. And that's what self-sabotage is. In my eighth highlight for today, I interview a really good friend of mine. I've known him for about a good six years, and his name is called Reggie Batts. Reggie is a mindset multi-millionaire coach. He helps a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners to really help them to make them aware of business failures and how you can use it as a tool to help you to essentially set yourself up for success later on down the line. So listen, I hope that you are, I love this interview and I hope you do too. So we were talking about Clubhouse offline the other day, right? And Clubhouse is great. It's the audio only app if, for you guys that if you don't know what Clubhouse is, it's on uh, iOS. And, you know, it's a great platform because you get to really build great connections with people on there. I'm, I'm not the type of person that spends 12, 14 hour days on Clubhouse. You just don't get anything done, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and like you, you know, I'd like to make sure that I'm disciplined and I put time aside because otherwise you're just going to get sucked into this hole. So one of the conversations that came up was, especially for like entrepreneurs, and you brought it up, is that these people would just continue to work like dogs, right? And they sa sacrifice their relationships. So what they probably don't know is that 
hey, guess what? Your relationship with your other half is probably on the uh, Canadian Rocky Mountains right now, and, and you're you're going to be filed for divorce next week if you're not careful. Um, right. Any right. any advice for people that are, uh, find it particularly difficult to, I suppose, come away from, you know, the 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 the, the work that they're so committed to? Because I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit but I know that there's a lot of people going through that right now. And I just love to kind of get your, get your point of view on that. Well, first, that's a great question. First of all, I think that um, I don't think I know in the, in the beginning stages in the infancy stages of your business, you're going to have to make those sacrifices. Got you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to spend time away from your family. Um, I, I, I sound like a broken record when I say this, but I say this all the time. I say this all the time, having a business is like having a baby, right? And when you have a baby, you know, you have a newborn baby, you're gonna spend so much time with that baby, that baby's gonna take you away from your family, so is the business. The baby's gonna wake you up in the middle of the night, so is the business. As much as you love the baby, that baby's gonna make you mad every once in a while, so is the business, right? That baby's gonna make you think, maybe I'm not a great father after all. So is the business. Maybe I'm not a great entrepreneur after all, but you don't throw the baby out. You hang on to the baby. You keep the baby, right? And the baby's going to grow. And as the baby grows, the more the baby grows, the less the baby needs you. The more the business grows, the less the business is going to need you. And that the baby goes through various stages. The business goes through various stages. And eventually, the baby is not going to need you at all. And that's how the business is as well. So there's there's stages where you have to especially in the beginning where you have to invest a lot of time you have to be away from your spouse and I, I call it you know you can either i tell entrepreneurs all the time you can play now and pay later or pay now and play later love it that's a that's a great now, metaphor yeah now if you're years into the business and nothing's happening and you're still doing that then there's there's an issue there's a problem you know, and that's not going to only help, you know, that's not going to only destroy your relationships. It's going to destroy, you know, you're going to destroy yourself, you know, and, and your mindset and, and, and all of that. You're just going to get burnt out. And the entrepreneurs who do get burnt out, that's the road they're traveling. That's a good point that you make there. Here's an interesting question here, Reggie. And, you know, and I'm going to use again, I'll use a metaphor here, right? You've got someone that really is what I call the present entrepreneur, but there's an entrepreneur that wants to go here. So there's the, say the outcome or the result or the desire. I'm going to say the desire, right? So you've got present time and the desire. And then, then in between the middle, there is what I call, I call it a bridging gap, right? A bridging gap uh, that takes them where, where is it that they are right now? Where, where is it? So they want to go. What would you say from your perspective? How do you bridge that gap? Because I feel that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, right? They, they haven't quite mastered how to bridge that gap. And, and that's why they kind of stay still or they get stuck and they hit a load of a blimps or roadblocks along, along the journey and stuff like that. And they kind of give up. Any advice there? Well, I think that they have to do things totally different, you know, differently, because I think oftentimes as entrepreneurs, especially if you've been in business for a very long time, you're used to doing things a certain way. Hmm. Strategy is one thing that you have to change, but you also have to change the mindset of a strategy. As you know, it takes a whole different strategy and a whole different mindset to go from six figures to seven figures and seven figures to eight figures. 
hell, it takes a different strategy and a different mindset to go from $100,000 to $500,000. Right. So we have to, I think one of the ways that I overcame it is I accepted the fact that I have to always step outside of my comfort zone. I have to always do things differently. By the way, even if you had a year last year that was wildly successful, you still have to do things differently this year in order to make this year better than last year. Right. Because even if you do what you did, even if you do exactly what you did last year, at best, at best, you're going to get the same result. And most mm-hmm. people, a lot of people don't even get the same result. So you really have to do things differently. You have to step outside of your comfort zone. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I've had coaches have me do things that I thought was absolutely insane, you know, and, <laughs> and I didn't want to do them. And these are things that would bridge me from where I am to where I, to where I wanted to be. But based on my view of the world, it was insane to do something like that. But based on their view of the world, it was the most logical thing to do because these are things they've done over and over again. I remember one of my coaches I had, one of the first things he wanted me to do, I had coaching clients who, were, who weren't paying me. And I was, 60% of my coaching clients were not paying me, right? So where was my focus? My focus was chasing I was just chasing, uh, I was just chasing receivables. Now the other 40% of the people who were paying me, and by the way, who were my best clients, I wasn't giving them any attention at all. So what my coach wanted me to do, he says, I want you to fire 60% of your clients. He wanted me to fire the people who weren't paying. That wasn't logical to me, right? I'm like, you're absolutely crazy. And he's like, they're not paying you anyway. And, and the likelihood of you collecting those, those revenues is slim to none. Right. So we got rid of those clients responsibly. And I was able to bring on seven additional clients, which was significantly less than 60%. And within three months, which far exceeded the revenue that I had with those other clients. Mm-hmm. That's something that's not a decision I would have made on my own. That's not mm-hmm. the decision that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. But my point in telling you that story and, and going back to your question is sometimes in business, in order for us to get from one place to another place, we have to do things differently. We have to make sure that we're getting the right advice to do those things differently in order to bridge ourselves from where we are to where we wanna be. Very, very important. So, and sometimes we just don't understand what those things are. Even today, you know, my coach has me doing things that maybe I don't understand it, Mm -hmm. but I have such a great track record of succeeding because of his advice that I just don't question it anymore. In my ninth episode today, I wanted to feature my good friend, Jen Groover. Jen has built and grown multiple businesses. She's been featured in huge amounts of magazines, including Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. I was also one of the first women to ring the bell in the New York Stock Exchange. And I love this particular interview because we talk about so many different things, including things such as manifestations, the power of the universe, quantum physics, so many different things that's going to help you success, help you to succeed in what you do. So I hope you enjoy The last 18 months, I mean, I've been on a bit of a journey myself personally. And one of the realizations that I have came to realize is the power of the universe. Now, I know that you believe this, right? The power of the universe. And what's the word? I suppose creating manifestations, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which to some of our listeners might sound a bit woo woo, but just stay with me guys. Just stay with me. Okay. What do you believe in terms of the power of the universe and create manifestation and how do you apply this? Should we say power of the universe in, in, in what you do? So 
For anyone who thinks this is woo-woo, it's actually science and it's called quantum physics. And if you want to start to understand just the entry level of quantum physics, uh, you can Google what's called the observer theory. And it's literally a cartoon that will come up that will show you what quantum physics is in a very elementary way, but it will be your introduction. And it will also teach you to not think about what you don't want and think about what you do want because your thoughts are energy that create reality. So what do I believe? 1 million percent in that. And why? Because I was fortunate enough to have Bob Proctor as a personal mentor of mine in my 20s. So this is back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So imagine how woo-woo this sounded then, right? This is way before The Secret came out. But everything he was teaching were the universal laws, just like gravity is a universal law. So universal laws of abundance, universal laws of manifestation, universal laws of attraction. So they're all laws. There's actually physics applied to them. So I had never experienced information like this. Like when I was talking about my mom earlier and those athletes, they were applying these principles, but they weren't breaking them down, so to speak, when she was interviewing them. And, and, and it's now when I look back and, and everything we're learning today in the universal laws, it was very 3D language. 3D is, is ego, 3D is materialism, 3D is very, very one-dimensional. And we're now, as, a, as, as the universe accelerates in speed, we're now, many of us are elevating in consciousness to what's called 4D or 5D. So I hope for the most part, I stay in 4D, 5D, but it's just, I mean, we'll all fly back to 3D. But I have manifested literally everything that I am today. Coming from the childhood I had, my brother is only 11 months older than me. So while my parents instilled good things, there was a lot of trauma and trauma can very much override all these other good things if you don't heal the trauma. So my brother's only 11 months older than me and we are completely opposite human beings because he took the victim mindset and he became very angry, very entitled, uh, very overweight, self-sabotaging, would cheat on every partner he was with. And this way we caught my dad cheating on my mom. He would repeat the cycle. Luckily I went to college and studied psychology and realized how to create pattern disruption. And I also did something else that was very subconscious, but I thank God I did it. Every single one of my best friends in high school and college all had intact, amazing families. I would literally just sit in their homes and pretend I was part of the family. I would pretend I was one of them and they all adopted me. Like they would all take me on family vacations and I'd be there all weekend. And so going back to the manifestation, I, I very well could have gone down a different path. Like my brother. And by the way, my brother was way smarter than me, way smarter than me textbook smarter. So everything that I am, everything that I have, I created it way before it was as an author, as a speaker, you know, when I was younger and I was in the fitness world and I was like, I want to, I want to like take this to the next level. Like for the rest of my life, I want to be able to get paid to travel the world and inspire people and, and, and I'm living it. So I believe in it so much. 
Then my final highlight of today's 100th episode highlight is actually myself. I did a great show with a good friend of mine called Sammy Blundell, who's been an entrepreneur for the best part of 20 years. And Sammy uh, featured me on her uh, show called The Ripple Fest. Uh, and uh, I share some of the important parts of building a business through collaborations and how to create an astronomical vision. So I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I call this how to own your lane. So enjoy. Let me ask you guys a question. Does it not make sense for us to kind of work together in collaboration to be able to help accelerate that journey? What do you think? Yeah. So a lot of you are nodding your heads. So this is what I came to realize about 18 months ago. If you want to go far, do it alone. But if you want to go really far and you want to and you want to create impact, then you have to learn to collaborate, right? Collaborate with people that number one, fit your values, right? Your values are, 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 are you know, they're personal to you, your personal values. Are, you know, my personal values are different from everybody else here. Okay. Not everyone likes me and that's what, that's okay. Right. And, uh, and not everyone's going to be attracted to me and that's okay too. So collaboration, who is it that you can collaborate with that number one, that maybe work with some of your clients, right? Maybe that they share the same vision, maybe that they have the same energy, right? I'm really big into energy. Sammy, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, do you get a good, I, when I make decisions, right? I use my gut instinct, right? What into it, what does your intuition say to you? Right. Don't think with your head or your heart. Think with your think with your gut. Right. What does your intuition say to you? Does this person feel good? Do they look good? Do I get good vibes from them? You know, some in, in fact, some of the uh, some of the best relationships that I've created this year so far is on a, an app called Clubhouse. And I'm sure that you guys are familiar with Clubhouse. Anyone on Clubhouse? Very good. There's a few of you on Clubhouse. Whoop, whoop. Uh, you can follow me at Adam at Adam Strong. By the way, it's a little plug there, cheeky little plug there. Um, <laughs> um, so, in fact, some of the relationships that I have formed and created uh, have actually been on Clubhouse. And honestly, some people are absolutely amazing. I've met people from all over the world. But going back to the summit, uh, the first summit, we actually um, we had two thousand one hundred people come through the summit on the first time round right? Because they, they understood and we created this message, right? It, we created this uh, message and this result and we all unified and synergized together. Does that make sense? Right? And so that was a real big learning curve. It was exhausting. So I came up with the idea. And by the way, don't do this, right? Whatever you do, don't do this. Okay. It was the first virtual summit where I create, but we created as a team, right? And Sammy would know the story. We created uh, from start to finish in seven weeks. I, I pre-recorded 62 hours, okay? 62 hours, okay, of interviews and, and with, uh, with some amazing people. Seriously, I learned so much. It was, it was like a big, uh, it was like going to university and uh, listening to all this personal development. It was fantastic. Um, so 62 hours, all the back end. Now, People don't see what happens on the back end of things, right? The back end is absolutely humongous. 110 emails written from scratch, six full-time staff people, okay? And the beauty about it is that we gave it all away for free. Now, you're probably thinking, how is that, how is that possible? How is it possible to create such a large event and give it away for free? It's very simple. 
If you have a powerful enough vision, people buy people. Oops. Fuck. No, you're all good. I think it's okay. We can still hear you. Oh, sorry. You might have Excuse my fridge. Excuse <laughs> Oh, Excuse don't my worry. We're completely blank my screen. So, Tia and I have had plenty of oh fuck moments with technology this week. So you're <laughs> <laughs> I went, it went completely blank. But anyway, I'm back in the game. So, anyway, so yeah. So, so as I was mentioning, you. Um, so, back to finish 62 hours, back end, 110 emails, six full time staff. And, uh, and it was amazing. 2,100 people came through it. Uh, we had such great feedback. The results were off the charts. And by the way, I had a newborn baby in between this as well. So I just wanted to let you know. Um, this was all in seven weeks. So when people come to me for excuses, I'm like, hey, you've got no excuses. You really don't have any excuses. Um, then we did it the second time round, And the second time round was absolutely, oh my God. We didn't have as many people because the industry changes. Um, the way that the way that we work changes and everything like that. Um, but what was amazing about the second time round is that we did it absolutely live, like we're doing right now. We did it completely live. We had people from all over the world, from Malaysia to the, the United States, Australasia, um, Taiwan, Thailand. Literally, it was a global event. We had Marshall Goldsmith. We had um, we had Bob Berg. Literally, these guys. I'm not kidding, you guys. They are not only New York Times bestselling uh, book or authors or whatever it might be. They are the biggest, baddest industry influence authorities in the world. And they, they are not the types of egotistical people that shout about it either. They're, they're just not, and nor am I. Um, but, to, but honestly, it was absolutely amazing. And so off the back of that, the other thing that you've got to think about is friendships and relationships, right? Super important in context. When you work in the virtual world, relationships, um, relational capital is probably one of the most important things. So let's just quickly summarize um, off the back of this. Number one, create a vision, okay? Create a powerful vision. That's the first thing, okay? Number two, make sure you're doing something aligned to your values. Really super important. If you don't know how to create values, uh, just go back. Don't think of, don't think of it as I'm hardworking. I'm professional. I'm no, that's standards. And there are standards and there are values, very, very different things. Um, so values really, really important. Who can you collaborate, right? Which influencers, which industry authorities, what clients. Um, I know that Sammy does a lot of stuff with you guys in terms of clients because she wants to showcase you. Right. Um, and you'll notice that the people that, um, that get to a level where money doesn't, money, money, I don't give a shit about money. Sammy doesn't give a shit about money. You know, this event is free effectively. It's, it's done for charity. And so that's what I love about it. And it's the same for me, like money will come, right? The universe will reward for those who give back more. It's as simple as that. Um, second, uh, sorry, third or fourth, um, intuition. Go with your intuition and your gut instinct, right? Think with your intuition and gut instinct. And then the last one, which was all about the power of collaboration. Hey guys, me again. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's special 100th 
episode anniversary celebration. I just want to say a big sincere thanks to all of our guests that we've had on the show, because honestly, without it, without you guys, it wouldn't be such a successful show. So I just want to share my gratitude and appreciation. And for you guys that have been listening in, I hope that you've been making notes in that notebook and implementing some of the strategies that you've been taught today. My big ask for you right now is to go over to our Facebook group. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Game Changers Global. So if you go find that out, it'll ask you a few questions just to make sure that you're the right fit for the group and engage in some of our great community and our great, great tribe. So from me, hope you've enjoyed today's show and hopefully you will come and join us for the next 100 episodes. Cheers now.